0: Hey, it's Nathan from the Golden Homers here to tell you about meetupvegas.com. Wanna eat the same quality meats that the great chefs in Las Vegas use? I got the hookup for you. Delivered straight to your front door, meetupvegas.com offers steaks, pork chops, premium chicken breasts, prime rib, you name
1: it. Check out meetupvegas.com and use code Irish10 at checkout to receive $10 off your order. The Golden Homers are brought to you by Generations Barbershop, a Notre Dame themed barbershop that has been keeping Irish fans looking good since 1930 Brent and Gill are located on Lincoln Way East in Mishawaka, Indiana. Open 8 to 5 and by appointment, call or text Brent at 574-250-0622. That's 574-250-0622. It over, and the Irish have
2: knocked off number one Clemson. Seconding goal for the Irish after the timeout. Williams right to the right side to the end zone. Look, Lowsnap picked it up, takes an end zone shot, and but Kimberly goes up and gets it and it is a touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of The Golden Homers podcast with your host
1: Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach.
0: What's up everyone, welcome in and thank you for tuning into the Golden Homers podcast. Uh, I told you guys last week uh, we have an awesome episode in store for you guys today and that's exactly what we got. Um, As always, I'm your host Nathan Urbach. I'm here with my co-host Mason Plummer. Um, NFL draft season is upon us. Draft is right around the corner Um, and we have a special guest today, uh, Ryan Roberts. Obviously a lot of you probably already know his work, director of recruiting over at Irish Breakdown. Funny thing is, is me and Mason. I don't know, actually. I don't know if you knew this, Ryan. Um, and, we'll, and we'll introduce you here in a second. But myself and Mason were are recruiting guys over at Irish Breakdown probably a year ago, around the start of COVID. Um, but obviously, the reason we have him on today, guys, is his for his draft content. You can find him at RisingDraft and I believe that's actually your Twitter handle as well at, at RisingDraft. Um, but let's get right into it. What's going on, uh, Mason and Ryan? Yeah,
1: Ryan, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, man. Yeah. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. Like you said, it's uh, after all-star circuit and now we're waiting for combine pro days, all that good stuff. So I appreciate you guys having me on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, kind of kick it off. I mean, I think the the one guy that is a, a shoe in uh, not only for the first round, but probably the top 10 to 15 picks, maybe even earlier than that, but uh, Kyle Hamilton, you don't have to be a Notre Dame fan to, to realize who that is uh, in the in the draft community um but i guess i mean obviously we have not had you on the show before so we don't really know your takes on on all these guys but uh he's probably the first guy we should talk about just know, knowing who he is uh maybe give us a little bit on on, on Kyle Hamilton
2: yeah it, it's always funny when I'm talking about notre dame players and in, in draft circles because i feel like a lot of people would assume that you know since i'm a lifelong notre dame fan and now i covered the team obviously on the recruiting end that i you know, have a little homerism, it's a favoritism towards some of the prospects, but I feel like it's actually the complete opposite because it's like I'm hyper-focused on them and I've seen every single snap they've ever played, you know, dating back to high school and then watching coaches film a- after the games and, and all this good stuff. So I feel like I have watched them so much that I also, I, I get a little more maybe overly critical than I usually would of some uh, Notre Dame players. So I feel like typically I'm actually a little lower <laughs> sometimes, which is a little funny, but I mean, to be very honest with you, man, like the word generational is thrown out in draft community way too much. But the only player I think that resembles anything generational this year would would be Kyle Hamilton, because when you're talking about historical comps, like if you're trying to make a comparison to him, you're going to be talking about guys like Steve Atwater and Kenny Eastley and, um, you know, these, multi, you know, these humongous safeties that are coming out that at six, you see Kyle Hamilton, you know, far hash working all the way across the field and sideline for an interception against Florida State. Like those things are just – they're irregular. They're not, they're not natural, you know. You don't see guys come out with that size that can also play single high free safety if you need them to, can play split field safety, can play down in the box, can play in man-to-man. Kyle Hamilton's a rare athlete. And, I, and for my money, if we're not taking in the positional value into the consideration, you know, offensive tackle, defensive end, quarterbacks, all that type of stuff – Kyle Hamilton's the best player in this draft, in my opinion. I will keep saying it and and I will, you know, keep reaffirming it because he is the only player, again, in my opinion, that you really can say is a special prospect. There's a bunch of really good ones. There's a lot of great, a lot of good ones in this year's draft in 2022. There's a lot of depth. But Kyle Hamilton's the only player that's even close to anything that could remotely be called generational in the 2022 class.
1: So, Ryan, I think we can relate to your point. You know, you mentioned that being a Notre Dame fan, you know, people would think that you're maybe a little bit more Homer towards the towards the prospects. But I think Nathan and I fall into that same category where if anything, you know, you watch them more and if anything, you're harder on. So I, I can appreciate that a lot. But so I'm curious uh, to expand on your Kyle Hamilton point there. I, I do agree that he stands out for me and, and is for in terms of positional value, he probably would be the first guy taken off the board if it wasn't for that. The fact that he's pe- playing safety. Right. So Do you think this is just a down class overall? Like, let's say this is a great draft class. Do you still think that Kyle Hamilton would be a top five guy, you know, if it was a really strong class?
2: Well, he's my highest graded safety of all time. So I still think that he would be in that upper echelon. I mean, honestly, thinking back to just my grading, and I don't have it in front of me, but I, I, I Kyle Hamilton might have the highest grade I've ever given out just in general, regardless of position. So to answer your question, yes, I think that he would be in it. It is not the top-heavy class 2022, there's a lot of depth, especially when you're getting into, like, the day two conversation, second, third round. Like, there's a silly amount of players that, for me, are going to have second- and third-round grades, but there's only – I think I have – the lowest I've ever had, I think, I think I'm going to have, like, 15 or 16 first-round grades this year. So, it's not a great class at the top. And I think there's only one true, true blue-chip player, that is Kyle Hamilton. But to answer your question, Mason, absolutely. I do think that no matter what class we're talking about, at least for the ones that I've graded, he would be one of the top prospects. Cause I, again, I think that his traits say elite, they say generational, they say best safety to come out in, in several, in several years.
0: I'm, and I'm glad you're saying that uh, Ryan, cause I feel like at least over the last couple of weeks, you know, just looking on Twitter, looking at some draft stuff, maybe not from the experts, but certainly from, from fans. Um, I was actually in like a Twitter, not like, not an argument, but just like a, a disagreement the other day. And it was, I feel like, maybe he's getting sort of stale as a prospect as a lot of these guys do. I mean, you get like, I don't know, maybe look at Trevor Lawrence last year, obviously he goes number one. Everybody knew he was a generational type of talent at the quarterback position. And I almost feel like Hamilton's sort of getting that treatment, which is weird because I feel like this has sort of been a quiet draft class. And maybe it's because a lot of those uh, things you mentioned at the top, I mean, you really only have maybe a handful of guys that like every year would be top 10 picks. And obviously Hamilton's one of those. I mean, maybe a few of the defensive ends throw them in there Um, and quarterbacks and wide receivers sometimes tend to get kind of elevated a little bit just because of positional draft value and same with the offensive line. But it's weird. Like I, I just feel like, People are starting to sour on him for whatever reason. I mean, I even saw something on, on pro football focus where and it seemed like they were just trying to find cons in his game or weaknesses in his game, just the way they were talking. And I'm like, I don't know, sometimes it's just a sim- it's a simple thing. And I feel like sometimes people try to make it more than what it should be. I think
2: prospect yeah.
1: fatigue is the word
2: prospect fatigue I was going to say uh prospect and um analysis paralysis is another another you one. One. Right. Good one. <laughs> yeah it's just after a while man like you just said Trevor Lawrence like you just have seen so much you kind of get tired of it a little bit And we've known I mean especially if you're a Notre Dame fan like you've known that Kyle Hamilton is special back to you know the first fall practice of his freshman year where he's intercepting passes every single day and then he despite playing a backup role to a Gilman and, and Jalen Elliott, he still leads the team in interceptions, right? Like you right. knew he was going to be special. And on the NFL draft circuit, the last couple of years, you've known that, Hey, number 14 from, from Notre Dame is going to be a dude. Like we all know this. And then also, I think it also plays in the fact that he didn't play during the last few games of the season. Right. So people sure. are like out of sight, out of mind to a degree. And honestly, when, 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 people do have that prospect fatigue that that Mason kind of coined there. Like when that happens, usually that tells me that that prospect's really damn good because you're just, you're just, there's nothing else to talk about. Right. Like the cons, it it reminded me of like Andrew Luck when he came out, it's just like, people just were trying so hard to poke holes in Andrew Luck. It's like, Oh, his arm isn't the strongest we've ever seen. Like, okay. (laughs) I mean Kyle Hamilton. It's like you, you, from a playing perspective, you can't really poke a hole in his game. The only one I would say is like, Durability, I guess, to a degree, because he has missed some games over the last couple of years, obviously. And he's, you know, dealt with some nagging stuff, you know, especially latter start, uh, stages of 2020, even. You know, he was, he started out really hot and then he kind of, I don't want to say fizzled, but like you could tell that he kind of hit a wall a little bit during the sophomore year and during the freshman year, too. It happened a little bit down the stretch. So it happens and that would be the only thing. But, but at the, at this point, man, if you're just so, you know, continuously trying to poke holes in guys, that usually tells you that there's not really much to talk about. It's just simply the fact that you've just been talking about it for too long at this point. I'm
0: going to put you on the spot real quick. And then we might, we'll start talking about some other guys. If, if you had to come out with like a mock draft per se right now, where, I mean, I know you say you think he's the best player in the draft, but obviously positional value and stuff like that comes into play. Where, where would you take him this year? If you like, where's kind of that money spot,
2: man? I will tell you, I mean, the money spots, top 10, right? Like there's a lot of different teams that I could point to. And I could say, you know, the New York jets pick twice in the, in the top 10. I think the giants are in the top 10, the Houston Texans could use them. I would say personally, where I would really honestly start thinking about it hard is at pick two, which is nuts because that, that would be the highest drafted safety of all time. Right. And that just does not happen. I mean, I honestly would even think about it at pick one. I know people aren't ready for that conversation, but like, I know Evan Neal is a good player and that's what the Jacksonville Jaguars need. But again, the best player on the board when you're a bad football team is going to be Kyle Hamilton in my opinion. But I think second overall to the Houston Texans, I think the jets then have the third overall pick. Um, And I would not be scared of him. And I know i keep talking to jets fans about this because I keep mocking them to him a little bit. And they're just like, Oh no, we already had Jamal Adams. We don't want this to happen to us again. I'm just like, "Eh, he's, he's different than Jamal Adams. He's not the same guy. So I think that, second overall pick the conversation starts and if he fell out of the top 10 i think it is not only ludicrous but i also just i I don't think it's going to happen because at the end of the day he's just he's a special player so pick 2 we'll start there and i'll say i think the jets have the 10th pick on the you know the back way around so i say somewhere two two through 10 is probably the sweet spot for him
1: yeah i like that i'm just really hoping that he goes to a team that's competent if that makes sense they're the teams that end up drafting first naturally that's because your franchise is in a bad spot so I'm just really hoping that he doesn't go to a team where he's going to his talent's going to be wasted um, for example a place like Houston I know they're getting a fresh start but you know a lot of these teams in the top 10 are are but guys bottom 10 in a way are kind of scary and uh, you'd like to see him go to a contender but a guy I'd really like to see go to a contender is Kyron Williams because I think that changes his entire NFL career outlook in a big way Completely dependent upon where he's drafted do you kind of share that same sentiment ryan
2: yeah i mean i think that's running back mostly in general right like there's always those uh, again i don't want to say generation but there's always those running backs that no matter where they land they could be successful to a degree but for the most part running back is a very situationally dependent position Uh, you know what's happening on the offensive line is there a passing game that can you know help to you know, alleviate some numbers inside the box and do all that type of stuff. Like there's always going to be those, those little intricacies to the running back position. I I think for me, Kyron has such a high floor though. And I, you know, I I feel like I'm a little higher on him than some people too, because I, I mean, best pass blocker in the class from a running back position dynamite in the passing game for, you know, he played wide receiver a ton when he was coming out of St. Louis, you know, out of high school. So he has the the passing game all the way down. He's a tough physical runner. I I think the big question, obviously, when we're getting up to the combine is, is he sub 200? Can he squeak in a 202? Because that will drastically kind of change some people's opinions on him. Because I think the film is, is really good. And honestly, if he has a good showing and say, he runs a little faster than we think and he weighs over 200 pounds, I wouldn't count it out of the the realm of possibility that he might be the first running back off the board because we saw Clyde Edwards-Flair a couple years ago go before Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift because he presented that all-around profile that is attractive to the NFL in the passing game. So I I really – but yes, to answer your question, very dependent upon where he fits, but I do think that Kyron presents a very high floor because he just does everything so well in my opinion.
0: And Ryan, you got me hooked on this new, on a fairly new podcast, the NFL stock exchange. Um, and yeah. I've been listening to, I've so far, I've listened I think four or five episodes over the last, you know, just week or so just kind of catching up. And those two guys, uh, Trevor Sykema and Connor Rogers are, are big on, on Kyron Williams. It seems too. They just did their running back show and I think they both had him in obviously in the top five, which I think most people do. Um, I think both of them even talked about like pretty much what you said is that if if they just had a favorite running back in this class and you could maybe from a value standpoint, cause maybe he falls to the third round or maybe he goes late second or something like that. They, they said, like if you had to like, you know, just put your name on one running back in this class, they both said it'd be Kyron. And I found that interesting. And obviously I know you said, you don't, we're called the golden homers partly for a reason. And so like on the, on the podcast, you know, we, we will be a little homerish to an extent, but I mean, from a running back standpoint at Notre Dame, I mean, I haven't seen a better running back at least since Julius Jones. From a draft standpoint, and you know, it's like you said. I mean, he can he can do everything. He can catch. He can he can play all three downs because of the catching and the pass the pass blocking uh, or pass protection. And like you said, if he if he ends up running like somehow in the low four fours, which it seems like Notre Dame guys tend to kind of surprise some people, Chase Claypool, Miles Boykin, et cetera um you know if he ends up running a little bit better and like you and like you mentioned as well come in and maybe a little higher weight it wouldn't surprise me at all if you know some team in the late first or early second round decides hey he's the he's the guy for us and he fits our scheme scheme the best
2: yeah no and and I think that there's this big misnomer about about Kyron that's kind of goes around especially like in the media side of Twitter it's like they everybody assumes that he's just like this just pure third down back that can't break tackles and I'm just like I don't think you've watched Kyron Williams play football <laughs> he breaks so many tackles and honestly this year you know his his yards per carry were a little down comparative to the year before because I mean, line. You know, Notre Dame's offensive line was bad like let's just call it what it is they were they were a bad offensive line this year and I actually think that helped him a little bit because I thought Kyra Williams vision and his patience this year were drastically improved because it had to like you had to behind this offense line this year. And I mean, I think I, for me, the top rated running back that I have in this class is Brees hall from Iowa state. And then after him, I have Kyra number two right in front of Isaiah Spiller, because I understand that there is just going to be some arbitrary things about, you know, what, when the, when we're talking about the the analytics side of of the conversation, right? A sub 200 running back. And that's why I said that 200 threshold is so important when you're less than 200 pounds, it's just drastically decreases your likelihood of being a high volume carrier. Like it just is what it is. But if he's over 200 and he tests well, like you said, like four, four, eight, four, four, nine, even four five flat, I'd be like, cool. Then we're working. Cause I think that then he'll have the opportunity to rise because I think that people just, again, have this misnomer. Like he's just, this, underdog type of small back who can't break tackles. And that's just not the reality. In my opinion, I don't think that there's an athleticism deficiency on film at all. I think that he just kind of hits every, every, you know, box that you would want as a player. And I think that the, he can really tackle this process very well, because I think that I, I, I just, I just think that he's going to test a lot better than people think. Cause I think that he's going to run around four five zero. Oh, maybe four five, two, somewhere in that ballpark. But I also think that he's going to vertical very high. I think I'm going to say high thirties in the vert. I'm going to say Broadswell because he's an explosive kid. And I think the change of direction is going to be really good too. So I think the upside is immense. And I think that he could be that first, maybe second running back off the board because he's going to be a guy where people are going to be like in the modern NFL with how you catch the football and how you pass block, you're going to be able to play a high volume of snaps. Even if at worst, you're a situational player on first and second down.
1: So Ryan, I, had to, I wanted to follow up on, you know, I've seen him weigh in at about 195. And I, I kind of understand, you know, that the difference between, you know, getting up to 200. And I don't think he'll have a problem getting up to 200 or 205. And I've seen a lot of people say that that's really where they want him to be. Is it that big of a difference that five or 10 pounds?
2: It, it it is just from a so it it's it's just the analytic side of, of the conversation, right? Like there's been some running backs that have been very successful at a lower weight, like a one ninety five, one ninety seven. But when you're just talking about the the examples and the proof that it can work, that when you get over two hundred pounds, there's just so many more examples of guys being successful at that weight than the lower than lower than two hundred pounds. That's why thresholds are just such a big talking point in the draft circles because like one that we always talk about is the nine inch hands for a quarterback. Right. When when you're talking about less than nine inches, then you're talking about like almost no, like no outliers. It's like Michael Vick at eight, eight and a half inches. And then the next person has nine. It's like Jared Goff and Dante Culpepper and those dudes. Right. So like when you're trying to gamble on a guy like a Kenny Pickett, for instance, that supposedly has lower than nine inch hands as a, as a team, you're like, wow, man, like I'm going to invest millions of dollars in a player that is an outlier even if he's successful and he might be successful, there's just not a track record of that size being successful at the next level. Talking about hand size. And when you go to the running back position, it's the same thing. It's like, there are some situational running backs that have been good at the NFL, but we're not drafting a situational pass catcher to be, you know, as a top 50 player, like we can get that guy, third, fourth, fifth round, like you can find that. But if Kyron's able to kind of you know, dispel that misnomer and say like, Hey, I can be a 200 plus carry guy also be a 50 plus reception guy because I'm 200 plus pounds. And now all these guys show that I can be that guy. That's just where that, again, the analytics side just kind of verifies that that weight can work versus it being sub 200 where there's just less of a likely an outlook, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to see like his three cone and some of the other quickness drills that they do at the combine. Because I think he's gonna, he might be the best running back in the draft that, when you, when you look at from those perspectives. And yeah. uh, that's probably where he's gonna, gonna kind of get that the money maker. But do you, uh, I, I have kind of two things for you? Do you, yeah, sure. the, the big question for him has always been kind of his long speed. Um, yeah. I, I do think against you know he had that long run against Clemson in 2020 um this year I mean he had the North Carolina stiff arm and, and ran it down the sideline and, and, and guys didn't catch him there and I feel like he's shown over the last couple of years he, he the long speed can be there in spurts um yeah. for him and that's why I'm very excited to see you I mean obviously it's 40 time as well and it seems like under Matt Bayless no, guys you know are are m- more often than not running faster than people expect so I, I wouldn't surprise me at all if Kyron even fits into that maybe even that low, like not low four, fours, but the mid four, more mid four, four range, like four, four, five or something like that. Um, So yeah, so first question obviously is, do you worry about his long speed? And then obviously player comps are always kind of a fun thing. Uh, Maybe kind of put a player comp to to his name.
2: Sure. Um, So I will say, Am I worried about his long speed? Not really, because I think that I think that the 40 times a little overrated for the running back position in general, because I mean, how often are you ripping off 40 plus yards and just in general, right? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm more worried about the the quickness, the the first 10 yards, like I'm more worried about that, you know, that stop start, like, that's what really kind of does it for me, because if, if you're able to, you know, uh, take, you know, take a quick gap and then break to the second level then you know that's all that matters is that you were able to just kind of break into that daylight for a second but i i think that if i had to bet money i would say it's about four five two four five three like that's what i kind of see on him, and i think that's more than good enough like as long as it's not four six something right like he needs to be four five type of athlete if sure. he gets four four eight four four nine then we're really talking because then he ma- drastically che- checks off that box. Like that, that thing is done. No one can talk about that anymore. I, I think that the thing that he has going against him is I think that he does have some straight line speed. I just think that he's short, you know, he's got, he's got short legs. Like It takes a little bit to get going. You know what I mean? So, uh, um, so I don't think that he's got the kick to him, you know, going back to like a track term, right? Like that last that 200 runner that's got that kick at the end. I don't know if he has that kick, but I think he has that short, short burst explosion. And I really do see, you know, enough long speed. Um, As far as a comp, a guy that just kind of comes to mind for me when I think of contact balance, I think of a guy that's just, I mean, second effort runner, you know, bursty, but maybe not that dynamite long speed. I think of Devonta Freeman that used to play obviously with the Falcons. I think he was on the Giants at some point after that. I I can't even remember, but he was a really good football player for the nine of Falcons for a few years and kind of the same thing, man. Like that toughness, the determination as a runner, You can't really teach that. Either you have kind of that inside of you or you don't. And one thing that we didn't even talk about is that Kyron Williams is one of the better leaders that I've seen don in Notre Dame uniform in recent years, man. Like you can just see the energy and the juice that he puts into the offense and everybody around him. So that's just kind of what I see is that just determined efforts, low center of gravity, patient runner that just runs a lot bigger than maybe he's listed. So Devontae Freeman is a guy that kind of pops in my head a little bit.
0: I'm glad you said that name because... I feel like he's kind of been pigeonholed a little bit by people who maybe maybe don't know what they're talking about as much, obviously, as some of the experts. But you hear James White, you hear Naeem Hines and guys that are not traditional three-down backs. And if you've watched anything in regards to Kyron Williams' film, at least at the collegiate level, he's for sure a three-down 3, a three down back. And I think we all agree on this podcast that he will be. Um mm-hmm want to definitely get into some and I know Mason probably will have a question on this too but want to get into maybe I think those are like the two guys that when you're if you're looking at Notre Dame's film this year for 2022 prospects you know Kyle Hamilton's going in the top 10 you know Kyron Williams is going to be one of the better running backs in the draft where they maybe are a little bit lacking or is everywhere else a lot of guys decided to return um that maybe would have been able to get sneak into that second third round range um but, but certainly some intriguing guys, at least in my opinion. And, I, and I'm sure you guys both uh, share the same sentiment. But um, maybe the first guy I would probably bring to mind is is MTA, uh, Myron Amosa. Um I know I'm fairly high on him as a guy that if he tests well at the combine, he, he could sneak up some draft boards, maybe even into late day two, um, but probably early day three. Um, may, maybe run over him. And then if Mason, I'm sure Mason has some guys he wants to bring your way as well.
2: Yeah, sure. So Myron's a really interesting player. Obviously, I mean, I mean, you guys know the backstory. You know, multi-year starter at defensive tackle, playing around two eighty-five. Then he loses a bunch of weight to play the the you know the strong side end this past year and around two hundred and sixty pounds. He's going to be a guy that's going to be a little of an interesting conversation because there's going to be, I keep talking about it a little bit on Twitter. Like, there's a big difference between being a hybrid player and there's a big difference between being a tweener he kind of fits a little bit into that tweener role to a degree because you're, you're kind of like, is he a perfect fit at defensive ends? Well, he doesn't really boast what you would traditionally think of as a body type for that position, right? Like right. long, you know, long arms, tall, all that type of stuff. He's around six foot two and some change. And I think he had like 32 and a half inch arms, 33 inch arms. So like, it's not a big guy, obviously on the edge that you traditionally think of. And he's certainly now at 260 pounds, he's not a traditional inside player either. Like, he's not going to play defensive tackle in a 4-3 at 260 pounds. So the question is, what is he exactly? Well, I think we saw he went over to to the East-West Shrine game out in Vegas, and he's just a good football player. Like, that's just flat out what he is. I mean, he was in one-on-one drills. Like, he is making offensive tackles over set, hitting inside moves. He's really slippery in the run game, working the gaps. I mean, he's got something to him that can make it in the NFL. The problem is that I think that he's going to be very scheme-specific to certain teams, right? Like, I can see a New England Patriots loving him because, you know, they kind of they kind of beat to a little bit of their own drum. You know what I mean? They, they like guys that have a little bit of versatility, but maybe they don't fit 100% into one specific role, but they can do multiple things. So I think that he – Myron is – I think he might have the biggest testing day outside of like Kevin Austin from Notre Dame, right? Where you're at, you're going to say, what does his testing numbers look like? Because if it is something where you're like, okay, 260 pounds, Ren's 477, had a solid verts and has some explosiveness, so you're like, okay, maybe he can be a base end that can work inside and passing downs. And now that's kind of what the outlook is. But if he goes to the combine, he runs. Four, you know, five flat or 495 or something, you know, pedestrian like that at 260 pounds, you're just going to kind of be like, man, he's a tweener. Like he doesn't have the natural position. So, but he's a good football player. And I think that the testing is going to be huge. And I think that he can stick long-term because he can do a lot of different things. He is a versatile player. And the one thing that you always loved about Myron Tagovailoa-Mosa is that he plays every single snap like it's his last man. He plays with an incredible motor. So I have no question that he's going to get into a camp and that he is going to push his limits to making a roster. The question is, what is his position at the next level? And that's something that I think testing is going to answer a little bit from.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So another one that I'm really intrigued about is Kevin Austin. I think, mm-hmm. you know, maybe selfishly, but also, you know, looking for his long-term future, I think he probably should have came back and I, I believe he got the grade two comeback, and he chose not to. So kind of an yeah. interesting move from him, but at the same time, he, had a, you know, everybody should know the story by now, but he had a rocky road at Notre Dame to say the least uh, some ups and downs for sure. This past season was great. And you'd like to see him, you know, continue to build on that success at Notre Dame. Obviously that's not going to happen. So what do you see from Kevin Austin? He's going to need to test really well. He's going to need to be able to catch the ball and, and look really good in some drills uh, in order to, to give himself a shot to be drafted. I think, I mean, I think he's going to get signed somewhere and have every opportunity to succeed, but, uh, you'd like to see more film on him for sure. So uh, what, what is your kind of outlook on these next couple weeks leading up to the draft for Kevin Austin?
2: Well, it's a good sign that he got a combine invite, right? Cause like you said, he did get the, the, when you submit it to the advisory board, either you get a first round grade, you get a second round grade, third round grade, or you get a return to school. And they did give him a return to school designation, which says that you're a day three player or you're worse. So it's a big gamble on Kevin's part. Now, everybody that follows recruiting or, closely to Notre Dame or just watch Kevin play. They know the kid's talented. Like there's no doubt you're six 215 pounds and you could run a little bit. Like I imagine he's going to test extremely well. The problem is, I mean, inconsistencies are all there, right? Like he struggles with the line of scrimmage getting off press. He's just not as physical down the field as I would like in general. He has some concentration drops. Like those things are all there, but then there's plays where he makes in the air where you're like, okay, again, I see it all there. And I think that he's going to go to the combine. I think he's going to run well, like 4-4-7, four, 4-4-8 four, 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 at 6-2, two, two, I think he's going to jump out of the gym. I think he's going to have like 33-inch arms. He's got a huge catch radius. I think it's going to check a lot of boxes. Now, it's huge, Mason, because I'll say this. If he, if he tests right in that ballpark, like I said, he is a shoe-in to get drafted. Absolutely. There's no chance he goes UDFA. But if he goes there and he runs 4-6, then – because, honestly, at this point – evaluators are going to have to forgive his film not forget it they're gonna to have to forgive it they're gonna to have to say wow that's not great but i forgive you because you run very fast and i can work with that because now you're six-two-two-fifteen, and you can run i can work with that your film wasn't great but i forgive you for that it's okay we, we can move past this But if he runs 4-6 and all he is is a gamble and traits and day three in general, and then you run 4-6, you're not draftable. You just aren't because there's going to be like three different wide receivers that they're going to have, that teams are going to have, or more maybe than even three, three in this example though, of guys that you have similarly graded, and they're going to defer to who tested best. It's just the reality of the situation. So he's going to have to test really well. I think he is, and I think if he does, he's going to get drafted late because he has the pedigree. He has the recruiting background. He has the the height, weight, speed type of combination that teams covet to. And honestly, like, I mean, he his his film is better than. I mean, it's somewhere between Miles Boykin and and what we saw of um, of Javon McKinley. You know, when no, when he was at Notre Dame, Javon McKinley goes UDFA. Uh, Miles Boykin gets drafted in the third round. I think somewhere in between. I'm thinking fifth, sixth round if he tests well.
0: Yep, you know, it's interesting that you say that too, because. And while you were saying the the idea of like how you can like forgive someone's film, I think in yeah. Kevin Austin's case specifically, uh, and I'm I'm fully on board with you guys. I think he a should have returned to Notre Dame, and and b I don't think he has like this special trait that makes him distinguishable among a, b- a bunch of other receivers. I don't think he's going to go and go to the NFL and be this you know sixth or seventh round pick that people look back on in ten years and say, man, he should have gone higher. I think he could be a, a, a decent backup and, and maybe even a, a, a number two or a number three at some point and, and be a productive NFL player, certainly. Cause he, like you said, he, he's probably going to test well. He has the height, speed, um, height, speed, weight, combo, whatever you want to say. And I think he's like, you mentioned, he's going to not only is he going to run fairly well, but he will probably, he'll probably jump, jump well and, 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 yeah. and so on and so forth. But, it is weird when you see, cause he's only really played one year at Notre Dame. And so that's where I think it gets tricky with him and where you can maybe forgive it. You're like, okay, this guy is somewhat raw for someone who is actually a, a fourth year senior coming out. And, but then like you mentioned, if he ends up running four, six, it won't matter. And you're just like, well, you should have came back and improved yourself a little bit better as a route runner. And that was where I, I really hated his film to an extent when I went over it is when he faced any sort of top-notch corner, he was pretty much shut out. And and I think that's where the whole forgiveness thing is going to have to happen if he does test well.
2: Yeah, and that's a great point, honestly, too, Nathan, because, you know, he is only a one-year contributor. Like, I know he played, you know, when he was a freshman, and then obviously he dealt with the suspension and and all that good stuff, but he was a one-year starter at Notre Dame, and I think that helps him honestly, because people are going to yeah. be like, "Ah, oh, oh well, he only he only started one year," so there's still upside there, right? Like we haven't seen the best of Kevin Austin, but that still is very heavily, you know, that is still very heavily subjective to whether he tests well or not, because that's the only reason that people will be like climber to the upside is if he shows that he has upside. If he doesn't test well, then where, you know, this is a moot point at this point, like nobody's going to take a shot because you're, he's got the developmental label stopped on him. And the only way to, to, you know, be a guy that's taken a chance on is to show that you actually have developmental potential. The only way to do that is to test well.
1: Gotcha. So do you think that, I mean, I'm thinking over this class in my head right now and, you know, it's kind of noted as a deep receiver class. So I just, the things seem to be stacking against Kevin Austin, which, you know, it kind of blows my mind that he is going, you know, betting on yourself is something I respect, but at the same time, if he doesn't test well, if things don't really go well for him, I mean, I just, I'm thinking of what could be like the, the possible scenarios. I mean, there's a shot that he doesn't get drafted at all. And then it looks really bad on him. I don't know, man. Uh, I, I'm a little bit worried about him. I, you know in the past couple of years haven't been super deep receiver classes and this one definitely is so yeah you, you know you slot him at a, the fifth or sixth round and see what happens but uh, i could i could definitely see a team you know it depends on which way you spin it like you mentioned you know with the one year of productivity do you look at that as there's sort of an issue here or do you look at that as okay there's plenty to work with and he's a little bit raw so i think it's all going to be the outlook of, of what people what people see with him
2: yeah no it absolutely is and, and honestly i mean and it's his decision. So I don't want to, you know, be the guy to, to, you know, to kill the guy, but he should have went back. I mean, let's just call it what it is. It, it's it's the reality of the situation. I know that there was, you know, some some big question marks on, you know, what's the coaching going to look like at the receiver position? Is Dell Alexander going to be coming back? But I would have loved to see him with Ch- with Coach Stuckey for a year. I would have loved it because when you looked at the Baylor program that he took over, he was only a coach there at Baylor for one year. Taekwon Thornton from, his 2020 film to 2021 was such a better football player there. The Baylor wide receivers, just in general, I would have loved it just from a simple fact that you have multi-years now of, of, of film. You could say, Hey, 2021, I was okay. 2022 I took a huge step and I took a big leap forward. And, and in theory right now, as far as kind of the outlook of the future, like you said, Mason, it looks like 2023 draft wide receiver group is not going to be nearly as, as deep at, at least <laughs> as the 2022 right. group. So I, I think that, I mean, honestly, like, Kevin Austin should have went back. There's no doubt about it. He's betting on himself. We'll see how it works out for him, but I I would not call it a, the best of decisions in my opinion.
0: Ryan, before we get into this player, I want to ask you a simple question. Yes or no um, on him. And then I want you to, and then I want you to touch on it. Do you think Jack Cohen is a draftable QB prospect?
2: Can I ask you a question before I answer this? Sure. (laughs) Okay. Do you, do I think that he's going to get drafted? Do you think, do I think that he's a draftable player? It's a very different answer. Uh, you know what? Let's answer both ways. <laughs> um, I would not, I would not draft Jack home, but I think he's a hundred percent getting drafted. I would honestly at this point be shocked if Jack home did not get drafted man. He went to the East West shrine and he was the <laughs> best quarterback there. I'm just flat out. And it's a bad quarterback class and there's not a lot of depth after the first Five to six guys that are kind of the perceived as your date, you know, top two, three round type of guys. So I think Jack Cone absolutely gets drafted and I would not be shocked if Jack Cone holds on to a job for a few years because there's just a, there's a safeness to Jack Cone. There's no, nothing dynamic, but I, 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 I would be shocked at this point if he did not get drafted.
0: He's gonna go number one ninety nine overall and somehow become the
2: next goat or something like that, right? Oh god, could you imagine, dude? That would be the greatest thing ever. And I, I mean, I'm hoping for Jack, man, because like, obviously, great guy. I, yeah, no, great guy. Great family, great story. It's all good, man. Like, I, I mean, I'm being very honest, and I, you know, I've been on record with this, so I, I don't care if it's out there. Like when they when they took him as a grad transfer, I was very underwhelmed with with that whole conversation I was just like oh okay that's that's fine I guess and he improved a lot during the season like he played good football down the stretch so hats off to Jack Cohn and I mean you know I thought he ended the season off very well and again he was the best quarterback at East West in my opinion out of you know it wasn't a great quarterback group but it's still you know Brock Purdy from Iowa State and Skyler Thompson from Kansas state, EJ Perry from Brown. And like, there's still some good quarterbacks in attendance at East West. So I don't want to sit here and act like it was, you know, a terrible group, but it it wasn't the best obviously, but he's Jack is, is luckily walking in for himself into a situation where it's not a great quarterback class. Like I said, I mean, at at day three, am I going to take a gamble on, EJ Perry from Brown, or am I going to take some, a known commodity in Jack Cone? Like, there's just those conversations. So I, I just think that ja- Jack Cone kind of has that make it backup mentality that he could probably stick around for a little bit.
1: I tend to agree, and it just it would really be something if he had even the slightest bit of mobility to help him out, but he he just doesn't at all. It's just zero speed on Madden kind of thing, and at least know,
0: not has- in the at least not like in the pocket.
1: When he gets going, it's not
0: horrible. Yeah. But in the pocket, it's just brutal.
1: Yeah, and uh, I mean, I don't even know what to say. If he had just the the slightest bit of mobility, I think it's a different story. And, you know, you're looking at a a different player, really a different prospect. The accuracy is there. And everything you want from a quarterback from, you know, essentially the waist up is there. But uh, the mobility is a big thing, especially in today's NFL, trying to avoid these ridiculous edge rushers. So, um, yeah, I can see him holding on to, Holding on to a spot and a backup spot for a long time, considering his accuracy. And he's a guy that can go in there and potentially win a game for you. He's competent and is accurate with the ball. He's not going to do something stupid for the most part. Um, but yeah, just the little bit of mobility would be great.
2: Yeah. Now, I mean, but but honestly, and this is another misnomer that gets thrown out there a little bit in and uh in drafting is that people think that like, oh, day three, I'm gonna take a gamble on like this toolsy quarterback and that really never happens. Like they always take just the guy that they know what they are, right? Like they know what the known commodity is. And you are obviously the the guys that always get made fun of like the clipboard Jesus, right? Like Charlie Whitehurst and Chase Daniel and Tim Boyle started a game this year. Like none of those guys are athletically incredible prospects. That's what gives them a limited ceiling, right? Like they're not going to be starting quarterbacks, but those guys that end up being backups for the most part, are the non-toolsy, safe players that if they have to get forced into a game, you know that they're not going to kill you. And Jack Cone, you know, is not going to kill you. He might not always win the game for you, but you also – he's probably not going to lose the game very often either. So the safeness, I think, does really kind of go into his into his wheelhouse a little bit, and I think it actually helps him to a degree, to be honest.
0: And you're And you mentioned you were kind of underwhelmed when he came to Notre Dame. You're certainly – preaching to the choir on this podcast, I don't think you're going to find two guys that are higher on Tyler Buckner than myself and Mason. And even though he sort of, you know, was obviously raw coming out of high school with the limited playing time that he had, unfortunately, because of a couple of different reasons. Um, you know, we we were me and Mason were preaching Buckner 2021 when he was like a junior uh, in high school. But what would you say the best case scenario is for Jack Cohn? I, I look at him and sometimes I see like a little Nick Foles in his game. But obviously we see like what I mean, Nick Foles is a second round pick. I, yeah. I obviously don't see Cohn being in that type of level. I don't think he has necessarily the same arm strength that Foles does. I mean, I know Foles kind of is known for the deep ball at least a little bit. Um, but he's obviously a guy that very little to no mobility or mobility, um, you know, wins from, like Mason said, the waist up, um, accurate passer. And, I, and again, I don't think he's going to be on Nick Foles level. I think Nick Foles was a, a, a much better prospect coming out or at least, you know, yeah. perceived prospect coming out. And he, he certainly has proven it in the NFL to an extent. But what would you say is kind of like the best case scenario for Jack Cohen at the at the NFL level?
2: I don't really consider him like I I think there's like a couple different types of backups right it's like pure backup a guy that's just going to be you know nothing but that but then there's guys that are the backups slash spot starters like they can come in and they can kind of be a bridge you know whether it's during a game or it's during a a quarterback transition or it's you know during a bad season whatever it is I, I don't see that with Jack the name that I just come back to so much which is kind of weird and you guys probably don't even remember him because you're younger than I am, but Jim (laughs) Sorge is a guy that just pops in my head. He backed up Peyton Manning for like ever. And he was just, he wasn't very good. And he wasn't a guy that would, you know, he's definitely not nowhere near a bridge quarterback, but he was comfortable behind Peyton Manning for a long time because he understood the system as well as anybody. And he was a guy that he was just super dependable and he would be there every single day. And that was just what you saw. So I don't see Jack Cohn necessarily as a guy that's going to ever be a spot starter bridge quarterback type of backup quarterback but I think that he again he's a guy that could might maybe get lost in the NFL a little bit to a degree when you think of like wow, you look back like seven years from now, you're like, wow, Jack Cohen played six years in the NFL. That's crazy. I didn't even know he was playing and he was just there collecting a paycheck and that's awesome for him. But that's just kind of, you know, the outlook I see. I think, I think he's true backup more than backup potential spot starter, if that makes but sense.
0: Backs up Tom Brady for five more years when he goes to
1: the 49ers. <laughs> man. It's
2: a good, good paycheck, man. You never have to play it. You're guaranteed. I mean,
1: Brian, that's what I was just about to say is I, I, I don't know if it's kind of a potential like hot take just because, if you make it to the NFL, you obviously want to play, but I've always thought being a backup quarterback would be the best job ever.
2: Absolutely, You're the most popular player on a team and you make a, a good, if you're behind somebody good, like you never have to play, but then you're always still the backup. Everybody clamors to the backup. I live right outside of Philadelphia and every time the Eagles have a backup quarterback, they're like, Oh yes, he's better than the starter. And it's never actually reality. Like it is what it is until he actually plays, but it's the best. I mean, it's the best job in sports. If you're a good, if you're a, Good to solid backup quarterback behind a really good player. You never have to play. You collect a paycheck, and it's a good At living. At least 10 house. years, yeah. Yeah, for real. Hey,
0: and fully yeah. really it worked this past year with Jalen Hurts. They, they ran Wentz out of town, and Hurts ended up being <laughs> a starter.
2: That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, that's, not, that's a good point, but they, they, you know, they, they still think that they're a quarterback factory. So it's a little bit of a joke. <laughs> yeah. Now
1: it's Menchu or something, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. Well, these things happen at Notre Dame too. Like I've already, I'm already tired of pe- people talking about Drew Pine, who I don't think is anything special. And we're going to get more of that going into the fall that he should be the starter and Buckner's first interception. He'll Drew Pines, the God, he'll, he should come in and save the season. And I'm not mentally prepared for that.
2: No man, it's it. I mean, if we're just talking Notre Dame, I mean, I've always been. I mean, it, it happens honestly. Like I remember, like oh, I was like the biggest like Ian Book supporter at first, you know. I'm like, oh man, put the backup in, put Ian Book in, let's do it. And you know, back to like the the Sean Kaiser after you know Mike Zaire got her, like oh wow, the backup. And then you know, it, it's it's just always gonna happen, man. That's just the the nature of it. It's the underdog type of type of cliche i guess i just i just hope tyler buckner is everything that people think they are so we don't have to worry about the uh the backup quarterback next season
0: ryan is there are there any other guys in this draft for notre dame that you think are a draftable um or if even if they aren't i mean obviously i mean a guy like kurt heinish for example comes to mind as someone who maybe spends a couple years in the league just because of his motor and and toughness and so on and so forth but are there any i mean maybe mention him a little bit but what are maybe some other guys in this in this draft class that you think might have a shot at maybe sticking around for a little bit
2: i think the two guys that are going to be uh, taken as you know priority free agents are kurt heinish like you said and drew white obviously the linebacker um, the the problem is that both of them kind of lack traits a little bit right like kurt i mean kurt had a great career man he got everything out of his ability he is a six foot one, six foot two, 290 pound nose tackle. Like that is just not sustainable at the next levels, but he's a tough football player. He plays with a great efforts and he's a physical dude. So like, could he latch on to a practice squad or maybe, you know, in the active roster for a year or two, it's, it's possible. And Drew White played a lot of football at Notre Dame and it was mostly productive football. I know his season obviously did not go the way he wanted to this year with the injury and everything, but He's still a tough kid. Played a lot of football at Notre Dame. He'll get a long look. His thing is going to be honestly testing's big for Drew White because if he's a kid that, I mean he's he's only going to be about six foot, six foot and a half, two hundred and twenty five, two hundred and thirty pounds. So he's going to be a small linebacker, but if he runs four sixes, then you're like, okay, maybe he can be a special teams guy, and that's kind of kind of be where he latches on but I, honestly, I, I don't think that either one of them have the outlook necessarily to latch on long-term because I just I just think, honestly, both of them just kind of lack traits a little bit.
1: Yeah, I could see that for sure. I figured that was kind of the end of the line once we started talking about Kevin Austin and MTA. Um, you know, this is a really, really high, top-heavy cycle for Notre Dame in terms of the NFL draft, but two super exciting prospects So I expect to to stay in the league for a long time, I really hope that you know, all the all the hopes that we have for, for Kyle Hamilton in the league as far as being a generational guy come true. And really, I just hope he doesn't go to a trash franchise, like I mentioned earlier, because it would be way more fun to watch that way. You know, see him in the playoffs taking a, a pick six to the house, you know, stuff like that, rather than, you know, playing for a team that's getting the number one pick again next year.
0: He's going to end up on the Lions with pick two, just like everywhere. I mean, every Notre Dame player ends up on the Lions. So Lions and Vikings. <laughs>
2: What one great thing I think about, um, about Kyle is, you know, he's kind of setting a standard for Notre Dame, which is a lot of fun because I know we're talking about NFL draft side of everything, obviously, but we are talking about even recruiting when we're talking about guys like Peyton Bowen that I've spoken to and Adon Schuler and some of the uncommitted guys, they all impromptu,ly you know, talk about Kyle Hamilton and the impact he had at Notre Dame and potentially going top four, top five overall and top 10, whatever it might be. And it's just great when those guys kind of set the standard and if, you know, if Kyron Williams sets that, sets that, you know, precedence and goes late first, second round, then, you know, the next running back recruit is going to be want to be the next Kyron Williams. So I just think that's a big layer to obviously what Notre Dame is building just, you know, from a from a uh, you know, pipeline perspective at some positions. And, and it's really just exciting just to think of what Kyle Hamilton could potentially do for Notre Dame, because it's I mean, again, generational player. Great football player at Notre Dame, and it's not every so often you talk about a guy from your favorite team that could be drafted in the top 10. It's just really special time right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know one thing Mason said before before you started talking about Hamilton was the idea that this is kind of like a top-heavy class for Notre Dame, not a lot of depth overall. And I sometimes think that people think that in a, in a negative light, but in reality, they just didn't have a lot of guys that came out either I mean yeah. that's right we pretty much covered everybody that has either left I mean left Notre Dame from a draft perspective and probably four or five guys are gonna are gonna leave are gonna get drafted and you're only gonna have like maybe two or three that don't and maybe some of our priority for so overall it's probably a pretty high percentage for guys that actually leave your team and and end up doing something in the draft at, at some point but um before before we let you go I want to touch on two things I know Mason's probably interested in this kind of stuff as well maybe briefly touch on some of the 2023 prospects i know it's very early uh but they might have another generational guy in michael Mayer at the tight end position um correct me if i'm wrong on that maybe he's not generational in your opinion but um certainly I, like we mentioned a lot of guys came back jared patterson isaiah foskey um you know the list goes on uh with some with some guys that can probably end up doing something uh in um maybe even early on uh, in, in the draft, uh, kind of, maybe what are what are your early thoughts? I guess on on the twenty twenty three class.
2: Yeah, I think from a depth perspective, you're really starting to see the numbers for next year potentially, right? Like you talked about, Michael Mayer. I mean, we just had Kyle Pitts obviously go top five, so people are going to be like, you know, generational. But when you're talking about a guy that's a traditional inline tight end, it's possible, man, because he's. He's a lot different of a player than a guy like Kyle Pitts, right? Like he's a true inline blocker too on top of what he can do in the passing game. He's a first-round player. There's no doubt about it. Isaiah Foskey, I think, and I kind of made a comparison to Aiden Hutchinson to a degree, not that they're similar because they're not at all athletically, but Aiden Hutchinson was going to be, you know, he was obviously dealing with an injury at the latter part, parts of 2020, so it's a little bit different. But he was going to be a top 50 player last year if he would have came out, right? He comes back, he bets on himself, coming back from the injury, and he's now top five player, you know, in the draft. And I I could see a similar trajectory to an Isaiah Fosky. If he would have came out this year, early second round, mid-second round pick probably.
0: A lot of DNs too in this draft.
2: Yeah, and at the deep defensive end class. Next year, you have Will Anderson, obviously from Alabama, and then the question is, who's the next guy? It could be Isaiah Fosky. He could be a top 10, top 15 player next year. It's very possible if he takes a next jump because he took a huge jump obviously this year in his first full year as a starter. Obviously, you know, was a backup and still had like five sacks as a rotational player. So he could take a huge step. Jared Patterson was a guy that I was a little surprised that went back. I know obviously Coach Easton comes back. So it's like, cool, come back. Get tutored by you know one of the best offensive line coaches in, in college football. That makes a lot of sense. This year's center class, though, after Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, is like it drops off the table and there's nobody there. I think Jared Patterson would have been the second guy off the board by default. So I mean, probably still would have been a second round pick. He's betting on himself. He could be a first round player next year. I think the guy that nobody's talking about right now from Notre Dame that could be the big riser. I guess if you want to call him that. Cam Hart, I think is going to be a second, a second or third round pick next year. Like he is six, two and a half. He's going to run fast. He had great ball production this year, you know, for the targets that were thrown at him. He was locked down on one side of the field. Now Notre Dame needs to get the other side at cornerback figured out, but uh, Cam Hart, you are happy with him coming back, obviously. And I think that he could be a big player. And then there's, I mean, there's a bunch more wild cards, right? Like we talked about those guys are the headliners, but I mean, last year at this time, I would have told you that Brandon Joseph was going to be the second safety off the board. You know, if he would have, you know, came out of Northwestern and obviously his season didn't quite go the way he wanted. Now he's at Notre Dame. And I think he's a dynamic safety. I think that he could still be a late first, early second round type of player because he's got incredible ball skills, great instincts. He just needs to put it together and, and, you know, kind of play within himself a little bit more than he did last year. I mean, he's got nine interceptions in the last two years. So he's going to be a really good football player. And I'm excited to see what he does in Notre Dame. And then my, my last guy, not to drone on too long, but the guy that I was calling the breakout star, I thought, and I'm not even going to say he's going to be in next year's class technically because I think he has three years of eligibility left. I think Maris Leifel is going to be the breakout guy. Like, that's my dude next year. Like, he, for me, is going to be the breakout star of the Notre Dame defense. I think that's the leading tackler on the team next year, whether he's playing – hopefully he's playing Will. I would rather him play Will than Mike, but – I think that he's going to have a huge season. You watch his his tape during 2020, obviously, when he was just, you know, he was a redshirt freshman just figuring it out, right? And he's his eyes are just all over the place. He's not consistent. But, I mean, even in the Alabama game, there's one dude that's flying around and is hitting his butt off. It is Maris Leifau. He is playing with reckless abandon. He is long. He is athletic. And he will hit. So uh, he's a guy that I think could be a big riser in the group. Because he was going to be the breakout guy for this year, in my opinion. I think he would have been what J.D. Bertrand was, right? Like 100-plus tackles and all that good stuff. But unfortunately, he gets hurt. But I think Maris Leifau is going to be a guy that people are going to look back and be like, whoa, where the, where the heck did this guy come from? I don't know who he is, but I think he could be the breakout star for Notre Dame next year.
1: That's music to Nathan's ears for sure. He's been on the Leifau train for a long time. I'm liking what I'm hearing about next uh, next year's class for Notre Dame, because I think, you know, if things go well, looking at potentially three or four first round picks, you know, minimum two, is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say Michael Mayer for sure. Isaiah Foskey, I would say very good chance. Jared Patterson needs to take a step forward, but it's possible. And then, I mean, Brandon Joseph needs to take a next step forward. If, If he's the guy there, then, I think we're looking at at least def- – I would say two locks right now, in my opinion. I mean, there's no lock in the NFL draft world, but I'll say two guys that are highly likely. I would say Patterson's going to have a shot, and I would say Brandon Joseph's going to have a shot. So i say two to four right now is, is definitely possible. And who knows with Cam Hart, man. If he has a dynamite season, then maybe he's even in that conversation. But I would say save two to four, yes.
0: And another guy – I mean, I just and I not to, you know, belinger the point too much, but yeah. a guy that I think can have a very Isaiah Foskey-like – year like how he had this year is a guy like Riley Mills moving over to strong side defensive end and he's certainly much bigger than an MTA so he's the guy that you look at from a prototypical standpoint he's not going to get that tweener label just considering yeah. his his height and, and stuff like that so if he moves it again kind of like Leah doubt he would I mean Leah maybe actually has an opportunity to come out I think he'd be a, a fourth year player at this point or whatever but yeah. um but Mills as a first year starter um might start getting some buzz he's he's certainly a guy I would think of in that in that um I guess realm um but one more thing before we let you go Ryan I hope you have some time I don't think we could let you go here without maybe talking a little bit of Notre Dame recruiting um and I know our fan or the fans of our podcast love it me and Mason are big recruiting nuts ourselves and you probably see it on Twitter and stuff like that from us and our time with Irish Breakdown so on and so forth What, what what's kind of the I know the 2023 ranked number one on 24 seven sports ranked number one on a lot of different things right now uh, and, and certainly in a different way than they've been ranked number one in the past when it's just been somewhat early because they have more recruits than everybody else I mean they have the same amount of guys as Georgia have a higher ranked class than Georgia you know where, where do you kind of see this class going maybe throw out some guys that you really like that you think could end up here
2: yeah, man. I mean, so out of the nine recruits, I, I think that the every all nine of them are at least a top two hundred and fifty player on at least one of the platform, maybe two platforms. So it, it's it's obviously incredible when you get guys like Keon Keely and Brendan Vernon and guys like that. Peyton Bowens, a, a potential star into the fold this early. I mean, it's it's fantastic to say the least. I think the the thing that people are going to talk about the most, at least from the NFL uh, from the NFL from the Notre Dame side <laughs> of things, is the fact that. You know, right now, seven of the nine are on the defensive side of the football, which is understandable. I mean, and, and right. it's also understandable why it is that way, because most, you know, basically the whole offensive staff outside of Tommy Reese was is new hires this year. And, you know, yeah. obviously going back to Stan. Stucky's coming in, Coach McCullough's coming in as the running backs coach. So there's a lot of shuffling on the offense, which I think is why it's, t- you know, taking a little bit for the offensive side of the football from recruiting standpoint to get kind of off the ground and you maintained your, I mean, I know Al Golden's coming in as your defensive coordinator, but you still had Marcus Freeman as the, the you know, symbol of the the program, obviously, and he's a defensive guy. So you're going to be able to maintain, you know, the, the momentum you had as a defensive recruiting uh, perspective. But I, I really think that, the key the key points always going to be in this class is that any recruiting class you need to get your guy in a quarterback right and that's going to be the talking point I think Notre Dame is in a really good really good place with Martin Luther King quarterback Dante Moore out of Michigan I I think that they're in a really good spot Uh, right now I don't know if I would say leader but I would say co-leader right like I think that it's between him uh, between Notre Dame, Michigan State, as kind of the big guys right now, and I think Michigan's kind of trickling in third right now. Like, I think that that is an actual conversation to have. And if they get Dante Moore here sometime late spring, early summer, into the fold, which they should because he wants to get into the class, into a class, so that he can start, you know, figuring out the guys that are coming with him too because that's just how it works when you're a quarterback. You want to, you know, kind of trick late guys in and, and get the best class around you. If, they, if Notre Dame is able to land a guy like a Dante Moore, then the Carnell Tates of the world from IMG Academy wide receiver is going to be in play. The Rodney Gallagher's of the world wide receiver. I'm not saying they're definitely going to come if Dante Moore comes. What I'm saying is that the, the, the chances increase dramatically if Dante Moore gets in this class. And those are a couple of guys that I'm a big fan of. Um... I mean, there's a lot of guys. I mean, honestly, that I really like. But those are the two, my probably my two favorite wide receivers. I would say at this point are are those two. I also like Jaden Greathouse down in Texas. They're really doing a great job at, at in Texas recruiting, def, uh, just in general. Braylon James, uh, wide receiver down at Dell Val in Texas, is a guy that is very high on Notre Dame. I would probably call them his leader right now, and he's ranked in the top 100 recruit by a couple different. Uh, recruiting platforms, so getting those skill positions figured out. Because I don't think anybody's worried about Coach He stands from a recruiting perspective, right? Like getting his guys eventually. He, they're in on guys like Samson Okamola out of Thayer Academy in Massachusetts, Monroe Freeling down in South Carolina, um, Charles Jagasaw um, out of Illinois, just won state championship I think in wrestling for you know his his uh, weight bracket as well as as a heavyweight. So they're in on a lot of guys on the offensive side of the football. All I, oh, I would say for Notre Dame fans that follow recruiting, just let this one play out a little bit because it's uh, there's going to be a Dante Moore effect if Notre Dame's able to it'll find him. But those are definitely a lot of the guys. And then I mean Notre Dame's off to such a great start on the defensive side of the football. I think that they can take gambles on a lot of the you know top guys out there. Like Jason Moore is a guy out of out of Dematha Catholic in Maryland defensive lineman that I think that they're very high on. Devin Houston is another guy that's a little of an under underappreciated recruit to a degree, um, out of, uh, out of, uh, North Carol, um, not North Carolina out, out of Maryland as well. He's from Hagerstown, Maryland, Maryland and, uh, St. James school when he's a really good football player as well, uh, a little more of a lightly recruited guy, but I think that they're going to take gambles on talent, Samuel and Pemba out of IMG Academy at linebacker is a guy that they're going to be big on. Caleb downs is a guy they're going to take a shot at the safety out of Georgia. Not, not, I don't feel amazing about that one, but feel okay about Mpemba. I feel okay about Micah Tease out of Oklahoma, the, the cornerback. Like, there's a lot of guys in this year's class. Um, to you know, to put all those tidbits out there to say Notre Dame has a legit chance to have a top three recruiting class in 2023 and be a legit, legit top three class. Like, it is a special class, one of the best classes I can remember in recent memory, at least at Notre Dame, probably the best since. I don't know, going back to, like, the 90s, like, I think it's that type of class, and Marcus Freeman's putting down something that's truly special, in my opinion, 2023.
1: So, Ryan, I really like that that insight. You know, those are a lot of top-tier guys, and the guys you mentioned, it's crazy the amount of players Notre Dame's in on. Those are all, for the most part, the guys you mentioned are top 100 players, which is crazy to think (laughs) about. You know, you just named about two dozen guys, so quarterbacks really where I'm focused on in this cycle. You have to go get a guy. Um, you might, I don't know if you feel differently. I haven't seen anything about you, uh, you know, on Steve Angeli. I'm not a Steve Angeli guy. So, you know, moving forward, you have to get a Dante Moore. And you didn't mention Christopher Vizina. I think you have to yeah. get one of those two guys. Is that kind of how you feel about this?
2: I, I'm kind of at, at the point where I'm like, not. I, I wouldn't say I'm Dante Moore or nothing, but I would say that all the eggs should be in Dante Moore's basket right now because I think they okay. do have a legitimate shot at him. And I think that you can – recover quickly to get back in with a guy like a Christopher Vizina, like you said, out of Alabama, or even back into the race with Jackson Arnold, although he is committed now to Oklahoma. Like, I think you can get back into that conversation, or even if you like Avery Johnson down there at Kansas as kind of like a developmental dual threat type of player. Like, I think you can get back into the fight with those types of guys, but I think that if you're willing if Notre Dame wants to take that next step and really flip the switch and make that big turn, I think Dante Moore is the guy that is, is a must get almost at this point because he's a different style of quarterback than they've had. Like he's a legitimate top 10 player in this class, legit five-star. And he's only two and a half hours away from where you play football, like out of South Bend, out of Michigan. So you have to go and get him, And especially with all the, turmoil that's going around around the University of Michigan right now with coach Harbaugh wanting to leave and doing all that type of stuff and just losing coach Gaddis to the University of Miami like this is the time to capitalize I think if Notre Dame is serious and wants to take that massive step forward that they keep talking about getting a guy like Dante Moore I think it's imperative in the class
0: yeah Notre Dame I mean they've obviously won their recruiting battles against Michigan uh, you know, you can name a, a dozen guys. I mean, obviously, you know, guys like Joshua Burnham and, and Nolan Ziegler just in this last year's class. I mean, those were two big, big guys that they landed over Michigan. But it, it it would be something a little bit sweeter, I think, for Notre Dame fans to get a guy that is essentially a Michigan feeder school. The Those guys either go to, go to Michigan or go to Michigan State most years. Um, and you mentioned, obviously, Michigan State and Michigan are kind of that right now, either co-leaders or, or, or running two, three right behind Notre Dame. And it would be, uh, so yeah, it, it's not only a recruiting win in the sense that you're getting an elite quarterback, but you're also taking them away from someone that is at least in Michigan state's case, you're going to be playing them soon. You know, maybe we see Michigan or something like that in a bowl game or a playoff game or something like that in the near future, whatever it may be. Um, but it's always something sweeter to, to kind of get one of those guys over, over a traditional rival.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, man. I mean, I know this is obviously a Notre Dame pan- uh, Notre Dame podcast, so I can say this. I hate Michigan, man. I, 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 don't, I don't. I think, I don't, I
0: really I think hate uh, Mason's with you on that one.
2: <laughs> like, I, I I can't stand that man. Like it's it was always them in USC. Like I can't stand either one of them, man. Like I, I don't I don't want to lose anybody to that BS team up
1: north. Like nobody
2: wants to lose it to them. So. I,
1: I feel the same way. It's a lot about proximity for me because yep. I, I live in the South Bend area, so. I'm as close to Michigan as you can be without being in Michigan. So actually you get a lot of those fans around this area. And yeah, I don't know, just the, the general attitude. Is, it's something, I don't know. I don't like it.
2: Yeah. No, man. It's uh, <laughs> uh Yeah. I, I mean, I, I we honestly could probably have like a four hour podcast about our hatred of Michigan. Like it's not, right. <laughs> it's, it's not, it, it is real hatred here. So it, it especially definitely, beating beating out a, a team like Michigan and Michigan state for that matter. Like, not that I have like any hatred towards Michigan state, but beating beating those teams for a Michigan quarterback would be, especially when it's a five-star kid and this kid's legit. It's not like we're just taking them because uh, we hate Michigan, right? Like Dante Moore is the real deal. Right. So getting a player like that, not only sets your program up for the next future, for the next, you know, turn of the era with, with coach Freeman, it also takes a guy right out of Michigan's backyard, which is fantastic.
0: And then, and then in 2024, go go get yourself CJ Carr and not only get a Michigan, legacy, but, <laughs> but another really good Michigan quarterback, and then then there would be really something uh, funny going on there. It, it, for for and it, we'll let you go here in a second, but yep. obviously I, I live in Las Vegas, so USC has always sort of been the the big rival for me because every year I remember, I mean every other year I should say I always go down to the Notre Dame USC game down in the Coliseum, but. I think over the last like four or five years since I've really been kind of entrenched into like Notre Dame Twitter, the Notre Dame beat, you know, having a podcast, analyzing Notre Dame, like on a professional level instead of just a fan base level. I think my hatred for Michigan has certainly expanded. You know, you see it all over Twitter, you you get trolls and, and so on and so forth that like will comment on your tweets when you're like, they don't even follow you. And it and it's it's always someone that's a Michigan fan. It's never I, I don't run into any USC at all, besides when I'm in Vegas, because there's a lot of USC people in Vegas just tr- like overall because it's, it's right there next to SoCal. Um, but I can certainly understand the hatred a little bit more now that I'm more entrenched into it from the especially a Twitter, <laughs> Twitter or social media pl- platform. <laughs>
1: Well, Michigan yeah, has trolls on their beat as well. So it, did, oh. it goes all over the place.
0: <laughs> we don't need to get into that on this. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, all
2: Mason, right.
1: That was great. Right. That was fantastic,
0: man. Mason, you got anything else for, for Ryan before we let him go?
1: Uh, no, I do have one other little jab, though, that came to mind. I was just going to say that it's probably not hard for you to get a seat at Notre Dame USC when they play at the Coliseum.
0: No, no, it's not. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Actually, I remember the, the 2012 game, last game of the season. Obviously, they always play they always play USC at the end of the year if it's if it's at USC. Um, 2012, obviously, Notre Dame needed that victory to end up playing Alabama in the national championship game, and obviously, we know the story behind Manti Te'o in that that year he had, which was incredible. Um, the whole stadium at one point, I think, towards the end of the the end of the game, was chanting like Te'o's name which was pretty, it was a pretty cool moment. Cause I think at that point I was like just graduating high school um, or or I'd already, it was like a high school, it was like a high school graduation present that my dad had gotten me. And it was a, it was a pretty cool moment. And um, but it was probably like at least 50, 50 Notre Dame USC fans, if not more Notre Dame fans. So that was kind of funny, but, but Ryan, I I appreciate you coming on. Um, If you guys, for whatever reason, do not follow Uh, Ryan on on social media Um, you can find him at it's rise and draft r-i-s-e-n draft Um, obviously follow him for his Notre Dame takes but you can see just on this podcast alone that he has some great material uh, in the in the draft NFL draft community as well has his own website rise and and I believe you have some other other you have your own podcast as well and, um, and you're a scout for, for, for another website and, and stuff like that. So certainly go follow him at, at Ryzen and draft. Um, we'll, we'll be probably uh, trying to get you on here relatively soon, maybe right after the draft as well, just to kind of go over everything that happened, but I really appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll probably have this out here in the next uh, couple of days for everybody.
2: Yeah, absolutely. fellas. appreciate you guys. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you.